Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Job Hunter podcast. I'm your host Tim French and this week on the Virtual Careers Fair we'll be delving into the exciting world of British television. More specifically we'll be hearing about what is involved in creating one of the BBC's flagship primetime programmes. I hope you're enjoying this series so far and trust me this one is a good one. So as always sit back, relax and enjoy the show. to welcome Dan Viner from the Glorious British Broadcasting Corporation to the Job Hunter podcast. The national treasure that is our BBC produces some fantastic programming and I'm looking forward to getting stuck in to finding out more about what goes on behind the scenes and goes into making them. Dan, why don't you start off by telling the listeners a bit more about what you do at the Beeb? Hi Tim, it's, it's great to be on. I'm actually really excited to uh, join this conversation. Uh, so my my job title at the moment is it's actually a little bit confusing. So the way that I'm credited on the programme is different to my, my actual job title, and my job title on the production is different to what I was hired as. Um, so I am a technical assistant, is my official job title, uh, but I was hired as something called a base operations assistant, and I've had seven different credits on the programme so far, everything from a runner to an aerial camera to camera to researcher. So, so which, my sorry, role is pretty which varied. programme is this uh, we're talking about? This is Countryfile. Sorry, I should say uh, Countryfile. So um, one of the BBC's flagship shows goes out on a Sunday night on BBC One, uh, regularly gets the highest viewership of any programme on TV and it's slot six to seven million viewers. Um, it's gone up since lockdown. Everyone's stuck inside watching TV on a Sunday evening. So uh, it's, not the sh- it's not a show that I watched before I started working on it, I'll be honest, but um, our demographic does skew slightly older, <laughs> um, but it, it's a good show to work on. I, I really enjoyed working on it. And um, how did you get into working for Countryfile and, and obviously working working for the BBC? So I got into TV in a slightly roundabout way. I did a history degree at uni, really enjoyed that, but didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I had a family member who worked in TV, had also done a history degree, so did a bit of work experience for him, his company. Decided that I wanted to pursue it. And then from there, I just, you know, started putting out some feelers. Uh, there's a big database of a whole lot of production companies that I just went down alphabetically, sent out a CV to a whole lot of people, picked up a few bits of work here and there. And then after uni, I uh, basically got a job via Facebook. There's um, a lot of big Facebook groups where work is posted, stuff around in Bristol. And eventually, through a few different jobs, um, was able to um, be accepted into a pool of runners uh, for the BBC in Bristol. And from there, I secured the uh, job on Countryfile. And I've been working there for two years now. Brilliant. And what would you say your main kind of roles are in this, in this new job? Um, what, what do they get you doing at Countryfile? It's incredibly varied. So obviously since lockdown as well, uh, things have changed massively. The TV industry was was not sideways, basically, by everything, all the lockdown restrictions, the number of people who were able to be on location at one time. So I started out as a runner, which is the, the most junior member of the production. I'd be on location a lot. 
um, you know, doing everything from, from making teas uh, to in the office, you know, helping to prepare stuff. One of my main responsibilities was all the memory cards we had to take, making sure that we managed our kit stock, sorting out cameras, that, that sort of thing. And I've since moved up. Um, the runner position was discontinued and the technical assistant position was opened, um, which basically is a lot more hands-on. So I do a lot of shooting. Uh, I'm uh, able to shoot with our broadcast cameras. I'm a qualified drone pilot, so I do a lot of drone filming as well. Um, and then on the side, I do everything from uh, source archive footage from the BBC archives or programs, help to research stories for upcoming locations, and still help prep all the kit. Um, there's three people in my position. We basically are the technical advisors uh, for the program. So sort out camera kit, advise on how things can be shot. And we do a lot of recording Zoom calls at the moment as well, because that's how we get in a lot of our content, our presenters, Zoom calling people who are either shielding or vulnerable, so can't be physically in person. So how does it work kind of, uh, you know, per episode? Do, do you have like a, a list of places that you need to go or do they, they already have places in mind before they shoot, you know, the three weeks in advance of the episode going out or what, what's the process? So the planning process is pretty extensive. But then also in a TV sense, very it's, it's very constricted actually. So um, Country File is fairly unique in that it goes out every single week. There's no series. Well, it it does roll into series. We're in series 32, I think, at the moment. But there's no discernible break. So Country File has been on TV every single week. For uh, this weekend is episode 1604. So 1,604 weeks in a row, Country File has been on TV. So there's no break and it just rolls on, which leaves a lot less time for pre-production and planning. So what happens is we have um, someone called forward planning researcher. They are given a list of potential locations by the, the top table, the, the, the producers, the series producer who say, right, well, we haven't been you know, to Northern Ireland for a while. We haven't been to Southwest Wales for a while, that, that kind of thing. And then they will source out a couple of stories. They'll do some research, put in the groundwork find, you know, like maybe an anchor place, you know, say like a castle where there's a lot of stuff going on or a farm, which is particularly interesting. And then they hand that location over to a locations researcher. This is uh, two weeks out from, uh, from the filming. So that locations researcher then has got to find roughly five to seven stories, uh, which will be, which will be films. They phone bash, they internet search, they you know, speak to contacts in all manner of organizations, everything from Forestry England to the National Trust, to find out just what's going on in that region. They meet people, they have a recce. Well, they used to have recce's before lockdown. That is something that was coming back in, but then lockdown started again and recce's kind of stopped. So they, in the normal world, go for a recce, meet people, see, well, actually, that person's maybe not as interesting as we thought, but this person, they're super interesting, even though what they're talking about isn't particularly interesting. So we'll make sure we have them. And that's how we might like to film that, that, that kind of thing. And then the week of shoot, uh, someone like myself, given a big list of kit that we've got to sort, we will talk to our kit room at the BBC. We'll, we've got some of our own cameras. We might have to hire some in. Uh, some of our directors um, are self-shooters, so they'll film their own um, footage. Uh, sometimes we'll, hiring cameramen. Previously, we'd always have a cameraman and a sound recordist, as well as director. But since lockdown, we've started having way less people on location. So someone like myself, who can shoot drone 
do a few different jobs is, is quite in demand and there's limits of footprints on the ground and then we'll have a, have a location shoot so last week I was in the Brecon Beacons in the Black Mountains I was there from Wednesday to Friday two days of location shooting normally one or two stories per day uh, with a presenter and you, you'll, you'll film your stuff get what you can it was very rainy where we were before so that was a challenge, but you know, we're always filming outside, so we've got to work with the conditions. Then all those memory cards, we take them out of the cameras, put them in a little bag, and then someone like myself drops it to our post-production facility to then be edited in the, ne- the next week. And then two weeks after we film, we go on TV. So I, you mentioned the uh, you mentioned the Brecon Beacons there. What would you say are some of the most memorable locations you've been to, or the most exotic locations you've been to? I wouldn't say anywhere particularly exotic, at least on Country File, which is, is British Isles based. Um, but I've been to some really, really beautiful places. So um, I filmed in some like a lovely fishing village in Cornwall in the height of summer. Uh, the Scottish Highlands, particularly memorable. We had, um, we've got a recurring theme on a shooting estate up there. Um, sort of crumbling old manor house, you know, m- massive fells and, and glens that you, the typical Scottish view. Um, a really beautiful place in central Wales called Lake Vernwy. I was a, a couple of months ago, which was really beautiful. Um, I think, to be honest, it's really hard to place a particular a particular location that is impactful to me. It's just a lot of the time it's somewhere that's completely random. It's quite small. It's not particularly interesting. But then you know the sun will come out, or you know you'll see a sunset. Or, you know, it'll just stop raining and, you know, all the trees are green. It's just beautiful being outside a lot of the time. And I'm really, really privileged that my job takes me to so many different and varied places. And I've been very, very lucky to, to, film, to film some of them and to, to really appreciate the, you know, the beauty of, of what the world we live in looks like, and particularly our, our own British Isles. Do you get a kind of sense of satisfaction when you see the stuff you've filmed out on tv on a sunday night at prime time absolutely yeah i mean to be honest i <laughs> i'm often busy on a sunday evening so i don't often watch the program live but i uh when when the, the film is edited together that you know four to six minute film that's self-contained uh, that i've worked on it they'll edit out and then they send out what's called a play out once that's been picture locked but not had the voiceover not had the grading that kind of thing put over it um and so I'll see that and I'll think, oh, you know what, actually, I am really proud of that. I think that looks really good, particularly if it's something that has had quite a lot of work in, go into it. So occasionally we have special episodes or, or long-running strands, which I'll have gone on multiple shoots for and not have sort of seen what the footage looks like other than on the, the screen of my drone controller or something like that. So uh, about six weeks here, we had a Harvest special episode, which, so that went out uh, in October. I've been filming for that since July in various different forms and it was just great to see it all come together and that had been a lot of work you know probably five or six shoots over the course of you know a few months and that was really great to see all the footage that I you know had thought oh that's great you know sometimes you, you catch something or you, you do a shot and you think well that's really nice I'm, I'm pleased with that and then to see that all cut together in a big film that's that's really pleasing absolutely and you just I think you feel creatively fulfilled it's nice to think in your head right i can see that you know that thing over there that so that combine harvest that's driving in a straight line over there but i want to try and 
capture it in a certain way. I want to fly around it like this. I want to shoot it at this frame rate, that sort of thing. And it's really satisfying to then see that come together because obviously someone else is editing together the footage that I shoot. It's the director or it's the producer. So it's nice to see how they interpret the footage that you captured and how that then fits into and embellishes and adds quality to the footage that's been shot elsewhere. So yeah, it is, it is nice. <laughs> I was, um, I'll get a text from my grandparents or something. They're like, you want the credits again tonight? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's nice, particularly the first time you get credited as a certain thing. So I was obviously, I was a runner for 12 months or so. But then when I started, I learned to shoot. I taught myself to you know, use the cameras that we have, got a bit of training from a couple of the guys in the kit room. And then it was like the first time I then used that on location. That was then, you know, I'd an additional camera or whatever it was the first time. So that's then, that's cool because it's, you know, it's vindication of, of some hard work and it's a sign that you made a step up. So can you give the listeners a bit of a sneak peek of anything you've got coming up? Anything exciting? Um, it is uh, yeah. So in um, in a few weeks' time, there's a, a special episode of Plant Britain, which is going to be launching a giant BBC wide um, effort called called Plant Britain, which is basically in getting the nation planting, rebuilding green spaces, and it's going to be a, a two year BBC initiative to I think coincide with the hundredth anniversary of the BBC, so 1921, whatever that was. Um, which is massive. Like it was sort of an, an episode that um, some of the people in our team came up with. Um, and then once they started to voice that, people much, much higher up thought, oh, that's great. That'll tie into this other stuff that we're doing. And it's a really, it's really big. There's some um some quite some quite big names who are gonna be, you know, involved in, in various ways, you know, sending messages of encouragement, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it's really exciting to be a part of. And myself and my colleagues have been filming a lot of stuff over the past few months, you know, some, some time lapses, some, some colors changing in forest, that kind of thing, which have been really, you know, we found really creative ways to do that. And that's airing a uh, week on Sunday. So that's, you know, one of those long-term projects that is coming, coming out, coming out soon. I'm not sure exactly. I'm not going to be able to give any specifics about who's involved in that, but there are some quite, some quite fun names that are going to be involved in, in giving little messages of encouragement, that kind of thing. So. It's, it's quite cool to be a part of, actually. And what would you say is kind of the, the bit that you enjoy the most about your job? I have always liked uh, photography and you know, images particularly. So for me, the filming and the, the drone work is what I feel most creatively fulfilled in doing. So I was, I mean, I was just filming at a pottery, pottery place uh, yesterday. It was uh, just, just one day inside our presenter was doing some pottery work and it's just something about, you know, an artist's workshop and it's all a bit, you know, splattery and there's clay everywhere and it's, you know, you can shoot stuff in slow motion. Pottery is particularly, I think, lends itself to nice images because stuff happens quite quickly. You go from a lump of clay to a beautiful pot in five minutes when these guys are so good. So there's something about just watching that take place in front of you and thinking how you might creatively get the best version of that because you're obviously seeing holistically the whole image you've got everything but in the camera you can just focus on that specific bit you can 
suggest things in a certain way using your depth of focus or your framing. And I really enjoy that. And then, you know, I got my drone license in March just before lockdown and seeing the world from above through the eyes of a drone is really, really remarkable. And it's been a really good fun to learn how to creatively use that because you don't want every shot to just be a bird's eye view pointing straight down or just flying really high. You know, you want to fly in a circle around your subject. You want to follow a person walking, but not make it look like it's a drone. You want to you know, show a car in movement or, or whatever that is. And that's been really fun as well to work out how to do that and to troubleshoot a little bit and just to get things wrong sometimes and get things right sometimes. That's, that's really nice. And I, I felt creatively fulfilled in doing that. And you know, over lockdown, I had the chance to put together, you know, a couple of showreels and stuff. Because I suddenly realised I had, oh, I actually shot a lot of footage. There's a lot of my stuff that's been on TV. That's cool. And I just wanted to put that together to see what that looked like. And I was quite surprised by the amount of episodes that I've shot. You know, hundreds of gigabytes worth of footage that's on TV. That you know, I did. I did that. That's that's really fun to to think about and quite privileged, I think, to be in that position. And yeah, it's something I maybe need to stop and consider more often that actually, you know, jobs for jobs are frustrating sometimes, things get wrong or you get tired of whatever. But actually, that's that's my camera stuff on TV. You know, seven million people are watching that. That's that's really cool. And I think that's a real blessing that um, I get to get to say that at this moment. So do you ever wish you had a more nine to five job or do you think that you could handle a more nine to five job now you're working at country file. I'd say, you know, sometimes it is nine to five or it's more nine thirty slash 10 to five thirty. It's a soft media start. But, um, I, so I am quite office based a lot of the time. So I'm on location in theory for two or three days, every couple of weeks. So that varies depending on the production schedule, but I'm office based. We keep office hours. Um, so I do have office work, but I think that kind of, sat in an office cubicle, nine to five, keying stuff into a spreadsheet, you know, suit and tie. That's that's not something I could do really. You know, I I love coming into work in a t-shirt and shorts and a pair of flip-flops in the summer, you know, just being able to wear what I wanted, being able to feel comfortable and being able to, you know, <laughs> expand my horizons a little bit. I wasn't just sat on a computer, although I have been doing quite a lot of that recently. It's nice to think right, I'm doing this now, but then you know, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to do this. And even if I didn't, you know, go on location for the thing that I've been setting up, the thing that I've been planning, it was, it's nice to be working on creative things and enabling and facilitating creative things rather than, yeah, I think just spreadsheeting or whatever it is people do in real jobs. Um. Do you have any kind of interesting or funny stories that you can share with us? It's difficult. I mean, like every shoot is different. Every everything is completely, you know, unique. Every shoot, but I can't. Nothing particularly jumps to mind. But I think what the the moments that you really remember on location, everyone says, is when everything is absolutely goes absolutely wrong and it just doesn't work. I mean, yeah, actually, just just last week we were in in the Brecon Beacons. Um, um, it was me and a self shooting director a researcher and our presenter, this, it was um, Ellie Harrison in this case, and we were going to go film these guys doing peat restoration on the top of this big old mountain. So, you know, we started walking and instantly, you know, 
I've done a little bit of drone stuff and instantly clouds come down, you can't see 10 feet in front of you. It's, you know, you obviously can't fly a drone in that. And then rain starts and it is raining sideways and I've got this 40,000 pound camera on my shoulder and there's no rain cover because, you know, the rain cover was left in the car because the weather was nice and we left the cars, but then suddenly rain comes in and you're like, flip. So, you know, the director pulled an old, you know, like a clean, thankfully, dog poo bag out of his backpack that he had and there was a carry bag and someone's scarf and a woolly hat wrapped around the lens just to try and keep the rain off it. And then you know, you've got to take all that sort of film so it's like, quick, do the bit, do the, do the piece of camera, do the stuff. Right, we're gonna face, we've got to face this way because the wind's coming this way and if we face the wind, the rain will get on the lens and then we'll have to clean it. And everyone's absolutely frozen. I'm wearing about eight layers, waterproof everything. We're all soaked through, everyone's cold. And, you know, then the lens starts falling. This is like a 30,000 pound lens. That is not mine. And it's fogged up because water's got inside it because the rain has been driven inside. It's all fogged up. And, you know, it's like flip. It always, it was all going wrong. But at the end of it, you know, if we get down off the mountain, it's like, oh, well done, guys. That year feels good to get through that. <laughs> I did then have to spend a lot of the evening with a hairdryer, just hairdrying this lens because it was very steamy and very, very expensive. But thankfully, it, you know, it dried out. The water was able to evaporate. But that night, you know, we all just, we just sat around socially distance, you know, in the restaurant at the hotel we were staying, just had a beer. It was just like, guys, well done. We got through that. And those are the shoots that you probably remember. And, you know, those guys who I went out with, that'll be like, you know, we can chat about that. We can, we can reminisce over that again because that was a tough one. We're in the Beacons, obviously, so groups of, army guys just jogging around all the time in, in their camo absolutely loving it and we were just there with our camera kit frantically trying to keep it dry but it just went well you know and it it went you know as well as it could have done in the situation and I think there are so many shoots that I've been on there isn't one that sort of particularly stands out but yeah it's those moments where stuff goes wrong and you have to adapt and then you get through it anyway and you come out the other side with a product that if you watched it on TV you wouldn't know that <laughs> everything had been absolutely balls up by the weather or, you know, whatever. And it, you know, it's nice to come out the other side of that, I think. So you mentioned um, that obviously the country file gets about 7 million viewers per episode. Um, do you see that changing as we, as we kind of time moves on? Obviously the way people consume content is changing. How do you think that's going to affect the BBC over, over time? Well, I mean, I don't think anyone would deny that there's a bit of an existential crisis surrounding terrestrial TV at the moment. I mean, our viewing numbers have actually gone up quite significantly since lockdown because people are sat inside. They're not going out on a Sunday evening. People are, there's a family gathering around to watch TV. But, you know, the, the, the reality is, you know, yeah, less people are watching terrestrial TV live, uh, you know, in the moment. You know, that's just, that's the facts. Um, younger people particularly are consuming content on demand, on their phones, on YouTube, whatever that may be. So, you know, we have to adapt to that. But, you know, we, we are looking to do that. You know, we have guest presenters who appeal to younger demographics. We have you know, different ways of trying to get content out there. You know, or, you know Twitter, Twitter feed, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, you know, that's not really—it's not my job to think about how those things uh, can be can be dealt with. You know, that is a high, high level thing that you know the BBC is trying to slimline to cut costs. The BBC is trying to appeal to a younger audience, that kind of thing. But 
my my role is making the content as good as it can be at this stage. My role is to make stuff as you know as pristine and as good as it can be. And you know, we hear from audience feedback that people people love what we do. But you know, it's like you said, it's that what is happening, what is the overall trend? And I think there is absolutely still a place for event viewing. You know, you look at something like I say Planet Earth Two, which came out was it two years ago or something that was you know the most viewed tv event that year and everyone watched it live because you had to see what was happening you had to you know, see that lizard escaping the snakes or whatever it was there were those moments where people just watch live because they have to because they need to know what's happening at exactly the same time as everyone else and i say event viewing is still very much a thing but i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that we move to more of an on-demand type thing either because you know like something like iPlayer we get millions of views from iPlayer not everyone watches live live but if people are going and watching the show on iPlayer you know that evening or later on I don't think that's an issue either but you know I am a comparatively junior person in the TV industry and there are people much smarter and with much higher salaries than I have <laughs> thinking about these issues and not coming up with answers at the moment but I would say that lockdown has been positive for us in terms of our audience because we've increased our audience number. Our audience show is very good, you know, pretty much the most viewed show, as I said, in our slot, which changes every week. It would push around because of Strictly or because of, you know, his dark materials at the moment or because of the football, but we still get millions of viewers, you know, like a 30 plus percentage point being share across any channel. And that's a big deal. And that is. Yeah, that says something about the, the faithfulness of the audience that we have and the quality of the show that we produce. So that's something that's cool to be a part of as well. And um, do you feel a sense of pride when you tell people you work for the BBC and work on Country File? It's interesting, yeah. I, I do. I, it's nice to work for something that people have heard of. You know, like the BBC, the majority of countries in the world, you could go and you could say BBC and people would know. Because you know, the BBC is one of the country's greatest, most successful global exports. BBC is is a is a global name in production quality, and that's cool. And you know, even with you know the specific show that I'm working on, the number of people that watch it, and particularly the places that we go film, you know, like the countryside, you know, on a mountain somewhere, in a village, in the middle of wherever people watch the show generally. And so when you're there and say, oh, what are you filming for? You say country file. Oh, country file. Oh, great. You must we do watch that. And yeah, people are excited. And as I say, it wasn't a show that I watched before I was on, you know, I was part of the production, but it is a quality show. There's really high production values for, <laughs> for what the budget is, which is not much. Um, so it's nice to be a part of that. And I think it's, you know, I don't, I, I wouldn't say that I'm someone who is proud, you know, in general, but it, you do, you feel a sense of pride that you work on something that's good and you look at the thing that you and your team have put together and you think, yeah, that's good, actually. That's, that looks good. That's a nice story. That's well told. That's nicely shot. And then, you know, you can feel a part of that. That's, that's cool. And do you have any real tips for prospective showrunners out there about how to get into the BBC or how to get into television in general? So I would, I would say that show running is 
is a different role. That's more of a, like, if you're a showrunner, you are, you're the boss, basically. That's more of an American term. But, um, so I, I started as a runner, but um, that's not the job I do at the moment. But um, everyone in TV pretty much starts as a runner if you want to be in that, be on that side of things. And there are a lot of people who are trying to do that at one time. And there are a lot of people who are very competent. And so you have to, you've got to keep plugging away, basically. So, you know, what I did, um, which is by no means the only way to get into TV, but what I did was, you know, after that initial week of work experience, which, yeah, came through a family connection, uh, that, you know, that's, that is, you know, an inside contact. But after that, I basically just wrote up a CV, never done any TV work before, just put down some stuff. And like I said, I just found uh, the PACS database. So the, the PACS database is basically a, a big network of production companies in the UK. There are about a thousand plus companies on there. I went down alphabetically. I looked for any company that I might want to work with. I was looking in Bristol because that's where I wanted to be based. And I just went through. Oh wait, no, I wasn't. I wasn't looking in Bristol. I just went down alphabetically all the way and I got to F before anyone responded to me positively and those guys were like hey you know thanks for emailing we're, we're looking for a runner we've got a shoot in Greece next week for a week do you want to come with us and I was like yeah they, I was in Bristol at the time they said can you just pop into the office in London tomorrow you show us your passport and I you know so I then had to think right uh, okay I'll book a train to London and I just had to get there I was in London for 25 minutes to get my passport and I was back up. I was in Sheffield at the time, actually, it was the summer, summer holidays. And, you know, and then I, uh, the next next week, I was on a plane to Greece to help shoot a whole lot of commercial stuff for, I think it was Thomas Cook. To, to then, you know, just be a runner. I was just a pair of hands. I was just running around. I did everything from you know, just carry camera kit, you know, get food. I was even in a couple of the shots because I needed an extra body, that kind of thing. I didn't know anything. I'd never been on any kind of set before. I'd never been on a shoot. I didn't know anything at all, but I was just lapping up. And then again, you know, I got back home and I was like, right, well, now I've got some experience. Put out my CV, sent my CV out to a whole lot of other people. And, you know, I went from there. I met, I met some people in Bristol. I was really lucky to get a little internship um, as a researcher with a new production company. When I graduated, a uh, contact that I'd made, you know, I sat down with them. We had a coffee and, you know, he liked me, so he went to hire me for for a few months, and that then was another foot in the door. That's some more experience. That's back on the CV, and then I spent a couple of months with nothing because that happens sometimes. I was aggressively pursuing contacts. So I was making phone calls. I met some people. I was just going through you know the job sites on Facebook. You know, there's a lot of Facebook groups. That I'll, I'll mention in a minute that jobs get posted on for entry level TV people. And I was just going through and going through you know, a couple of months. I didn't have anything. I was kind of sat at home freelancing, as I call it, but looking to find a job. And then, you know, something came up on Facebook, went to a group interview, got a job as a runner. And I was at a post-production house. That's where a lot of people start out. And, you know, I made tea and toast for like nine months. I learned, I learned about how post-production works. You know, I learned the different roles. I worked alongside a lot of people. And what was good about that role is that post-production company I worked for in Bristol was where a lot of shows, you know, I might want to be a part of were made. The editors and directors are in these rooms all day, every day. And I'm in there making their life easier. I'm bringing them the food they want. I'm remembering what tea they like. 
you know, yeah, get by them at lunch. And you you can have conversations with them, you chat about what they're working on, you build up a relationship. And then, you know, Country File was made in that, in that building. And I got to know all the Country File team who were in, I made them tea and I remembered their orders and made myself useful to them. And then when I, you know, through another application, was able to get into this BBC runner's talent pool six months later, I then heard, well, you know, Country File were looking for a runner. And I was like, great, put me in. And because I, you know, I was one of you know, the, you know, it was a very high number of people who applied for this runners thing. So that, that one was positive to you know, have the, on my CV that I was one of the one people out of you know, 500 or whatever it was who got into this runners talent pool. That then, you know, looks good from a country file perspective. You know, Dan's been better already. Now here's a CV. But then when I go to the interview, oh, it's just Joe. I make her tea every week. I know her. She knows me. And we have that connection already. So two different strands, you know, a personal relationship that I had made through a working environment and then some hard graphs to build up a CV, to build up some connections, to spend ages over the application that I put into the career service to get this runner's pool thing. And then meant when I got into an interview, it was, I didn't feel, you know, overwhelmed at all. It was something that I knew it was a relationship that I built over a number of months that then was positive. So TV is a very relationally based industry, but you don't get a job just, well, at least in my experience, you don't get a job just because you know someone. You get a job because you're competent and you know someone. It has to be both. You have to be able to do the job. You have to be good at it. But then if there's two people that they're looking to hire and you're the person who's you know, been their absolute lifesaver when it's the middle of the night, and they need someone to order them dominoes and clear up their mess and, you know, do all that kind of stuff. That's then, you know, I think, oh, yeah, that's the person I'm going to hire. In, in my interview, actually, they, they said, you know, we've got to think, who is the person that you'd be willing to sit next to on a plane for 12 hours? As well as the fact that you have to be able to do the job. People who don't, who don't relate well to others, people who aren't nice, people who want positive influences on a team, they don't get rehired. And I've, and lucky to encounter very few of those so far on Country File. It's been a great team, but you know, sometimes you'll have a crew member, someone who's long for a day or two, cameraman who's you know unpleasant or whatever, and just like, well, they're not working with us again. We're not going to hire them. You know, they'll get an X next to their name on the on the spreadsheet of crew members or whatever, because no one wants to work with someone who's unpleasant. So yeah, I'd say first and foremost, you've got to you've got to be likable. You've got to be nice. You've got to be able to get on with people, at least in, in my experience. But then you have to be flipping good at your job as well. You've got to be really competent and you've got to be really you know, skilled. You've got to be willing to, to upskill yourself. At the same time, you can't just coast in the industry that you're in. You have to think, right, well, I've been here for four months. What have I gained? How have I improved myself? How have I made myself more employable? So one of the um, pieces of advice that, that one of the talent um, team at BBC gave me is to not stay in a job where you don't feel like you're learning anymore, not to stay in a place where you're just coasting because you're not going to gain from that. You're not going to be able to step up from there. And thankfully, I've been very lucky in the jobs that I've been in so far to be able to learn a lot consistently. Country Father is very good at giving you opportunities to learn, to grow, and to be upskilled. You know, the production paid for my drone training, the production's paid for kit for me. Uh, to be able to use it on, on location, but yeah, they are getting 
a free drone pilot, which would normally be you know hundreds and hundreds of pounds a day. But I'm gaining from that as well. You know, I'm gaining skills. I've been on I've lost count of the number of drone shoots I've been on and the number of different locations, the number of types of stuff I've shot, the number of conditions that I've shot in. And that's hugely valuable for me. And I can then leverage that as and when I want to move on to say, look, you know, yes, I've only worked for one production, but I've had seven different roles so far and I've had nothing but positive feedback. So yeah, there's a lot, a lot to be said for that. You know, desire to improve yourself. And a lot of that just comes from relationship. If you, you know, speaking to a cameraman you're working with regularly, he's like, hey, how do you do that? Can you show me that? Or when you've got time, could I drop you an email? We could chat about this. And people are always very happy to, in my experience, because they remember what it's like starting out. They remember what it's like not knowing anything, not knowing anyone. And they remember the people who'd help them. They remember the people who gave them a chance. And have you given uh, given much thought to kind of where you want to be, you know, at the end of your career? Where, where What's the career progression for you or, or career ambition, let's say? So for me, the, the thing that I'm keen to do is for to stay in all school production. Uh, so that's the, the making of the TV show rather than like the, like the financing of the TV show or the, the post-production, which would be like the editing together of the TV show. Um, but I'd want to maintain that kind of technical skill base as well. So I don't want to be a cameraman. I don't want to be just a drone operator because essentially if you were a crew member by profession, then you're only working if you're away from home. And I, I don't want to be away from home all the time. I think that's important. My family needs to take priority ultimately. So I don't want to be away for months and months on end all the time. Um, so probably what I would ultimately like to end up as is something like a shooting, shooting PD, shooting producer director. So someone who can film themselves, someone who has the capability to, to produce broadcast level quality content on their own, you know, on location, but isn't like a craft cameraman, not anything that they do. So that person would, you know, I'd want to research, I'd want to write scripts. I'd want to be able to see the film through into the edit, you know, kind of cut that together, that kind of thing. So, that's probably the direction I want to go in. There's a, a few rungs I'd need to climb up before that. But that's that's the direction I'd like to be. Someone who is able to do a few different jobs. Able to, yeah, to shoot, but then also able to direct. And I've had a, a few opportunities to do that in, in little ways so far, which has been cool. And you know, hopefully once the world opens back up and life returns to something virtually normal, I'll be able to do a little bit more of that. So, you know, if you are at my virtual careers fair, how would you market your career to others? If you were, you imagine you're back at the, the, the secondary school hall um, presenting <laughs> BBC Country File to a young uh, 16-year-old who's looking to find out more about careers, how would, you, how would you sell yourself? I'd say the job is incredibly varied. It's creatively fulfilling. You get to meet an incredibly wide range of people, not all of them easy to get on with, but a lot of great people. Um, there's travel, you get to visit cool places, you get to be a part of um, a really exciting show, something that ultimately you can feel proud to be a part of. And yes, sometimes it's frustrating or sometimes, you know, you're away again or you're back late on a Friday night and, you know, it's tired, it's tiring and, you know, you're carrying heavy kit and you just, I think, ah, oh, I'd just really like to sit in an office for a bit. But 
at the end of it, you're able to, to view a product that you've created that is really good and really fulfilling. There's huge scope to advance your skill set and to have opportunities to give that, you know, put those skills into practice on location. You know, as, as a show, you know, Country Farm particularly, it's very good at giving people opportunities to try stuff out. And that's, that's relatively unusual in TV, so I'm very grateful for the opportunities that I've been given particularly. Um, yeah, there are issues sometimes, and you know, there's been rumblings here and there amongst the team sometimes about this issue or that issue, but things do get sorted out. And as a team, I think you know, people get on fairly well, and there's good groups, there's good support networks of people. Um, who can tell you how to do stuff if you don't know. And there's places that you can go to find out answers. And ultimately, you, you really get to do a wide range of jobs. You really get to own a wide range of skills. And that will give you a great opportunity to step up into the next thing um, if that's what uh, you want to do in TV. Dan, it's been absolutely fantastic chatting with you today. Um really really loved all the stuff you talked about um yeah where, where can everyone find you on the internet if they want to look you up find me on the internet well uh <laughs> i don't really have a professional presence on the internet um but i am uh, thinking that i'll probably start up soon so if you search for dan biner on the internet there's not many of me i've got an instagram i'll be putting up some show reels and some some video content soon so that's dan v-i-n-e-r online and uh, I'm sure you'll find me somewhere. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, thanks again for, for chatting to us. And uh, I hope there is, thank you. Well. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Dan. I'm really looking forward to seeing more about your big campaign in the new year. If you want to see some more of Dan's excellent photos, go check out his Instagram at Dan Viner. While we're on the subject of socials, you can find us, as always, on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at JobHunterPod and on YouTube at JobHunterPodcast. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, why not shout about it? Leave a review and a five-star rating on your platform of choice. It really does make a difference. I want to hear about your success stories. Whether that's a little win or a massive one, drop me a message or an email at JobHunterPodcast at gmail.com. Once again, I've been your host, Tim French. This has been the JobHunter Podcast. Stay safe and I'll see you next week.